Elvis Presley, of course, and Wooden Heart, based on a German folk tune. And what better way on Thursday Finance, Barry Preston, to lead into world economics? And we're very, very uh, privileged to have a regular guest on our program, Jonathan Payne, a local and international keynote speaker known for his contrarian views on world economics, finance and events, author and publisher of a widely read investment newsletter, The Payne Report. Jonathan, the world is floating or sinking or I don't know, it seems to be floating as far as the markets are concerned in huge debt. Who owes who and who owes what? I mean, the printing presses are flat out. What's happening? Well, Barry, uh, thanks very much for uh, having me back on. Uh, I, in fact, uh, in the last several months have uh, adopted uh, quite a positive view on the global economy in 2013. I acknowledge there are certain countries in the world, and we know who they are, the United States, Spain, Italy, uh, Portugal, Ireland, Greece, so on and so forth, and Japan, of course, that, that do have a huge amount of debt. Uh, but as I've been saying for, for some years now, uh, only 10% of the world's population live in those countries, which means 90% of them don't. And uh, in fact, uh, the great majority of humanity uh, are doing quite well. But I do acknowledge um, there is a, a high level of debt and also... The central banks in the United States, uh, Japan, obviously the United Kingdom, uh, are very much uh, running the printing presses at this point in time, trying to resuscitate uh, some of those more depressed economies. It's interesting you mentioned the USA. Now, I would suggest that probably the USA and Japan together would probably have the world's biggest debt problems. Let's take Japan. Japan concerns me a little. Their monetary policy is to stimulate spending. Now, they've got a huge debt as far as their gross domestic product is concerned. They have an ageing population, one would think, not inclined to be spenders. Now, if the young ones don't come through and spend as consumers, is there a challenge there down the track? Well, Japan has, has, has huge challenges, as you correctly identify. In fact, their debt-to-GDP ratio is 230%, which, in fact, is the, is the, highest, uh, the highest in the world. Now, recently, we, of course, had the, uh, the election of Shinzo Abe, who, in fact, was prior, previously prime minister, but on December 16th, he was re-elected uh, once again. And he is really trying to uh, change uh, Japan in a dramatic fashion. We all know, that, of course, that Japan has suffered for nearly two decades in a, in a, in a condition of recession and outright deflation. And uh, Shinzo Abe and his, and his government are looking to re-stimulate growth. The challenges are enormous. Number one, as you say, the high levels of debt. Secondly, the, the demographic headwinds are mm. profound. In fact, it's the oldest average-age population uh, in the world. But I do actually believe, and I haven't said this for a very, very long time, the times are a changing, as Bob Dylan once sang. <laughs> and we're going to see the Bank of Japan, uh, the central bank in Japan, uh, really pursue a turbocharged uh, monetary policy, and they're going to really fight this deflationary condition. We've seen the, the, the yen depreciate very significantly against the U.S. dollar. That has been one of the big problems for Japanese export is that the Japanese yen has been too strong, too expensive, and that is now changing. So I'm, in fact, becoming more positive on Japan, and that's for the first time uh, in a long time. Notwithstanding the challenges they have, uh, I think actually the outlook for Japan this year is better than we've seen for a number of years. Interesting comments. Now, let's move from Japan and let's look at the challenges facing Italy, which in turn may affect the Eurozone. It's got new administration, but when, it gets, when it's got this new administration, who's in control and what's their financial situation like? 
Well, I'm sure most of the listeners will uh, will be aware we've had a uh, pretty catastrophic uh, result, in fact, in the in the Italian elections. I mean, consider this: the Italian electorate uh, were faced with the following choices: uh, uh, a clown with a facelift, namely Berlusconi, a comedian, namely uh, Beppe Grillo, and a former communist uh, by the name of Bassani. Uh, they also had the choice of electing a very competent. Uh, existing PM, Mario Monti, and of course, uh, they, uh, Mario Monti came fourth, and the electorate chose in almost equal proportions uh, to support uh, Bassani, Beppe Grillo, and, and Berlusconi. We have a stalemate, and so the president of Italy, uh, the 87-year-old Napolitano, has the unenviable challenge of now trying to form a government, and so we've got this uh, kind of political vacuum in Italy, which does have significant consequences, as you say, uh, for the entire Eurozone, because ultimately the Italian electorate uh, voted uh, last weekend, the weekend before, sorry, uh, it was a very, very powerful anti-austerity vote. It was anti-Brussels, it was anti-Berlin. The Italians basically said, enough is enough. We we don't want to continue down this path. So uh, we're in a situation where we are... now likely to have to go back uh, to to the uh, the ballot box and see if we can get a government that has an outright majority. Because currently, um, Bassani would have to go into coalition. It would appear with uh, the Five Star Movement led by the comedian Beppe Grillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, yes, a complete stalemate. And the the financial markets, interestingly enough, sold off sharply on the news uh, that there was no outright winner. But uh, since that time, uh, the markets appear to have. Uh, taking it all in their stride, which is really quite impressive. Interesting. We're talking to Jonathan Payne, author and publisher of the widely read investment newsletter, The Payne Report. We'll be back soon to have a look at some more things happening in the world. This is Thursday Finance and Barry Preston. We're looking at world economics with Jonathan Payne. We certainly are. Now, let's head to the USA. has its own challenges. The world's biggest economy, so it said. Not clear policy direction from Capitol Hill. Usually they're very, very positive, the Americans, but they seem to be squabbling over there. What's happening? Well, they certainly are squabbling. In fact, uh, I think it's no longer a secret that the leader of the House of Representatives, the leader of the House, uh, Boehner, in fact, um, is hardly on speaking terms with President Obama any longer, um, which uh, doesn't really help things in terms of their negotiations uh, about fiscal policy. On March the 1st, we, we, uh, we experienced what they've, they've dubbed the mini fiscal cliff, <laughs> this mandatory uh, $85 billion uh, cut in, uh, in, in government spending, which mainly hit the defence sector. So uh, I'm afraid uh, in terms of the kind of fiscal outlook for the United States, it's quite apparent that um, fiscal spending or government spending will decline over this year and over the next few years. Very, very fortunately, and, and readers of the Payne Report will know this, uh, through last year I became much more positive on the housing sector in the United States, which was quite a relief for me, having been so negative in 2005 and 2006. There is undeniable evidence now that the housing market is improving in the United States. The manufacturing sector is showing signs of life. And, in fact, the American consumer is coming out of hibernation. So, in fact, I've uh, penciled in growth in 2013 for the United States of 3%, which is quite a bit above above the consensus forecast. And also, on top of all of that, there is this prospect within the next decade that the United States could become energy uh, independent. Mm, uh, That's interesting. Shale, gas oil uh, revolution. So the economic situation 
uh, in the United States, I think has improved, but uh, I would certainly acknowledge the gridlock uh, that we're currently seeing on, on Capitol Hill and the continuing uh, ever-growing divide between the Democrats and the Republicans. Do you consider that China would be a little bit concerned, I believe it's massed a huge amount of foreign currency, and obviously it's US dollars, that... Uh, the concern within the currency, not currency wars, whatever you want to call it, but the trying to devalue the American dollar, uh, would could China be a bit concerned about this, do you think? Well, I, I think they are concerned, and they have been concerned for some time. In fact, um, China now, the People's Bank of China, the central bank, has indeed got uh, foreign exchange reserves equivalent to approximately $3.3 trillion, and that's trillion with a T, by far and away the largest foreign exchange reserves of any central bank uh, in the world. It's just a formidable uh, amount of money in anyone's language. And as you say, the, the majority of that is actually invested in U.S. dollar-denominated assets. We think the number's around 60 to 65 percent, because the Chinese have, in fact, been attempting to diversify away from the U.S. dollar because of their concerns, medium to long term, uh, about the value of the U.S. currency, because... Yes, I think the Americans have been quite deliberately trying to devalue their currency uh, over the last several years, although they don't actually admit to it. I think it's been quite subtle. And so what we've seen is that the Chinese uh, are looking to uh, invest in other currencies. But quite frankly, uh, you, you, as we all know, um, many currencies uh, don't look that attractive. The <laughs> British pound doesn't. Uh, the Japanese yen, they're quite overtly devaluing that currency. Um, U.S. dollar, as we've just discussed, uh, has been on a declining trend. Uh, the euro has its challenges as well. And it's in that framework as to why the Australian dollar is as strong as it is mm. against pretty much every currency. Because in a, in a world of ugly currency ducklings, uh, the Australian dollar is uh, certainly a swan, but uh, fortunately not a Wayne swan. <laughs> And not a very big spot either. We're nearly out of time, but there's three countries I'm going to mention, and if you can give us a very brief comment on them. Vietnam, Indonesia, and India. What's happening with those three? Okay, let's take Indonesia first. Our nearest neighbour, 240 million people. Uh, I've been wildly optimistic about Indonesia now for several years. I continue to be extremely positive, and I think we here in Australia need to engage much more fully with Indonesia. The prospects are outstanding. The economy is growing at 6.2%. And I think it will be one of the better performing economies in the next decade. Vietnam went through a bit of a softer patch. Uh, last year it grew around 5%, but I think that growth rate is going to pick up somewhat. I continue to be positive on Vietnam. India last year had a pretty poor year in terms of its economic growth. Uh, but again, uh, I remain optimistic about uh, Indi India Sorry, in the very, very long term, uh, notwithstanding their challenges, uh, corruption, uh, poverty, obviously, <laughs> and infrastructure. But, you know, you've got 1.2 billion people, so you've got a, a large amount of opportunities and possibilities. And I see that economy uh, going from strength to strength in the years and the decades ahead. Jonathan, on behalf of everyone at 2NURFM, thank you very much indeed for your great knowledge of what's happening in the world. We'll have you back soon. Thanks very much, Barry.